Brilliant. Well, we want you to use the 2.30 service over the next three weeks just to get to know us. And um, is that all right? Is that all right? So we're inviting you to our living room, okay? And uh, so, Cathy, it's been great coming, hasn't it, so far? Oh, it's really great. And these chairs are so comfortable. Yeah. I'm falling asleep in these. Yeah, maybe we should get new church chairs like this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That'd be great. It's been great. We have loved it so far today. Yesterday, fantastic. Today, fantastic. Um, Yeah, great. Great. So uh, we, um, we know this is a little bit of a different format, but you're okay. 2.30 2.30 services. Okay. Um, where are some people watching from online? Can somebody, yeah, just uh, Wheaton? Sweden. Oh, greetings to Sweden. They do very good murder mysteries. The Swedish do. Yeah. The Nordic noir. Nordic, yeah, I'm murder mysteries. Yeah. yeah, now you're getting really to know Cathy. Yeah. She, yeah. I do think I've watched so many I could probably commit a perfect murder. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Kathy, this is our first day. We're probably not. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just if I go missing, that. if I go missing anyone, look no further. Okay. Um, where else? Netherlands. Netherlands. Oh, we love the Dutch, don't we? We love everybody. We do. We yeah. love the Dutch. Yeah. We we had a great um, Indian meal in Rotterdam. It's great, wasn't it? Oh, do you remember that yeah, in I do. that harbour? I do. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Hey. Thank you, 2.30 Service, for just going with us. And I know it's a little bit of a different format. Kathy is going to minister the word in a few moments, but we thought that we'd just uh, let you know a little bit about ourselves. This week, we're going to focus on Kathy, and I'm going to interview Kathy. Next week, Kathy's going to interview me. And uh, so I'm really scared about next week. And, um, and I'll share a little bit. And then in the third week, we're going to chat about ministry, marriage, and maturity, okay? So if you're single, it is for you, okay, as well. So don't think we're just going to go all family-orientated on you. Kathy, um, tell everybody where we are from and how you grew up a bit, and uh, just the background a little bit for you. Well, so Mark and I uh, grew up in a very small city called Stoke-on-Trent, which is kind of in between Birmingham and Manchester, Um, It is or it was a very industrial city and the main industry was pottery and in fact sometimes it's referred to as the potteries, uh, which is why on your revival times you've got a picture of a potter because in Stoke-on-Trent that's where Royal Dalton, Wedgwood, all those famous pottery companies were and where that was made. And um, uh, I grew up in uh, a lovely family. We weren't a church-going family at all, but I had a lovely family. Uh, my mum and dad were both shop workers. I have uh, an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we grew up, went to school and so on. Uh, Mark and I actually went to the same school, but we didn't know each other then because I was in a top class. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll leave that there. Yeah, yeah, so it, yeah. But we actually met in, in church after we'd both become Christians. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as I say, my family didn't go to church at all. I don't remember us ever going, to be honest. In fact, let's just kind of pick up on that, Cathy. We are, um, we, we hate to tell you this in the first kind of our first meetings with you, but Cathy's already confessed that she could do the perfect murder. And uh, we're telling you we're from completely non Christian backgrounds totally secular. Um, I mean, Kathy's much more cultured than I am. She was like v- much posher than I am. But when I first went to church, uh, this really happened, by the way. 
when I first went to church, the pastor said, turn to the book of Romans. And I turned to the person next to me and said, ooh, is there a book of Vikings as well? <laughs> and uh, I, I was completely ignorant. But Kathy, you thought that because you were English, you thought you were a Christian. How, how did you come to faith on that? Yeah, well, I, um, as I say, we never went to church, but I would certainly have called myself a Christian uh, because I had a belief in God. And um, at that time, which is kind of the 60s, I just thought, well, Britain's a Christian country, so if, if you don't want to be a Christian, you kind of have to opt out. Um, but when I was 17 and I just started in sixth form, my brother, who's a couple of years younger than me, started to go to church and he, he was just a really changed person. And he kept going on and on, you know, you should come to church, it's, it's great, you really, really should come. And so eventually, I think, um, the whole family went to a service and um, the church was in the, the pastor's garage. Actually, it, it, the garage had been converted into a very small church. There was a piano, a pulpit and a, a row of chairs. Um, and the service, I just found it just really impacted me. There, there was definitely something about it that kind of really drew me in. And uh, when the pastor at the end said, you know, if anybody wants to become a Christian, put your hand up. I kind of really wanted to put my hand up, but I had a few issues. And one was, I think, that I think I didn't want to give in quite so easily for my brother, you know, tell him, oh, you should come. But also, I had an issue because I'd said to my brother, well, I am a Christian. And he'd said, well, you're not really, because it's not enough to believe in God. You have to actually give your life to God and you have to confess your sin. And I thought, well, yeah, let's stop there because you probably have sin. I can see that. I am not a sinner. I, you know, I thought I was a very good person. And I suppose by all standards, I would have been considered a very good person. And so I just, I couldn't get my head around that at all, you know. Um, but there was definitely something there. And I, I kept going back to church off and on. And every time the pastor said, does anybody want to become a Christian? It was getting harder and harder, you know, not to put my hand up. And so eventually, I think probably after about six months of this going on and off to, uh, to, to church, talking with my brother. And isn't it funny because I was in, in the sixth form and suddenly almost everybody I spoke to was a Christian. And, and I can swear, I don't think I'd ever met a, a real Christian before, but suddenly, like, everybody was a Christian. Um, and I think that's just the way God works sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of people who grew up in church. And because you have grown up in church and you believe in God, one of the things is, is that you don't think that you have to opt in. It's an opt-in faith that we have you have to commit to God so if you're just saying of course I'm a Christian because my parents came to church actually that's not enough you have to actually say no I want to be by my own choice a Christian and we we have we have worked in church for quite a long time now and we often come around people who say well of course I'm a Christian I've been coming all my life well, actually, have you ever actually opted in? Because it's important that you say yes to Jesus. 
And so if you're here today and you're, you've got that kind of feeling, oh, I really ought to do this, but then I'm really embarrassed because everybody thinks I'm a Christian, don't wait. Don't wait. There'll be people here today, I know, who would have grown up in a Christian home and they would have said, you know what, I, Pastor Mark's right, I had to make it my own. And in one sense, that was not easier for us, but different for us because we knew that we were, well, I did. I knew I was outside. I know you were kind of close to sainthood, you know, but... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Kathy was a good person, <laughs> but had to opt in. So if you've got that feeling, hey, today could be a good day for you. It could be the most important day of your life. And if you're watching online and you're thinking, well, I've never really given my life to Christ, why don't you do that? Simply. Yeah. So Kathy, how did you actually cross the line, as it were? Well, I think um, it just got to a point, really, where I just, I just couldn't resist any longer, you know, and, and I'd gone to um, a meeting in a school, actually, that wasn't in the church, a meeting in a school, and... Um, and again, an appeal was made. And I just thought, what are you waiting for? You know, you know you want to do this. And I still hadn't got my head around everything, all the sin. I still hadn't got my head around all of that, but I just knew that I wanted to do it. So I did go forward and make my commitment and confess my sin. And I just had this overwhelming feeling, really, that I had done the right thing. You know, like, oh, thank goodness, you've done the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, where you were in the sixth form. Yes. So what, were you about 17? Yes, yeah, yeah, 17. 17. And so what, we have been in church, you know, since that time, and now you're a little bit older than that, but what, what are some of the best things about church and, you know, being with Jesus, but actually being in the family of God that, that you particularly enjoy? Mm. I think there are a lot of things that I, you know, that I could say, and I'll say a few, but I think one of the things that I think about church is that it's a good news place. And I think the world is a very bad news place. You watch the news, it's always bad news. There's always something that you could be worried about. You go to work, and it's often a quite a stressful place. Difficulties that you have, you have difficulties in your family. But when you come to church, it's a good news place. And I don't simply mean the message of the gospel, which is good news. But actually, you hear preaching that puts something into you and gives you strength, you know, to face whatever it is that you're facing and to go through the week. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I really love about church, that it is a good news place. Um, I, I just love the fact as well that church is for absolutely everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're well-dressed, well-educated, not so much. It is a place not just for everybody, but where everybody is equally valued and can be equally used by God. And, and we all get on together in the mix, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been in quite a few different types of churches. In fact... Uh, I don't know whether it passed you by, the church that we got saved in literally was in a garage. Now, I mean a single-car garage with a pull-up door. It had a curtain in front of the door. It was not... It was so small. I think it 
did we have the most people ever was like 36? Yeah, well, I don't know how would it have fitted any more than 36 in yeah, there, but yeah. It was so, yeah. we come from a really small church down a little side street and uh, it should be a lesson to you that God can take you wherever. Mm. He really can. Um, we really believe that church should be a place of uh, different types of people, don't we? That, yeah. you know, and if, you, if you're one of those people that feel a little bit out, we all do that at the same time. I, um, I mean, I'll tell you next week, but when I was growing up as a teenager, I had dyspraxia. You, you know, that it's like where you can't judge distances and so on. So I'd knock over, I'd, I'm in a nightmare. I mean, this, this water and this table are in danger. I could be a nightmare sometimes and knock things over. And um, so Scott, you're going to have your hands full with me. But, and I sometimes used to feel out because of that. Uh, but we think that church is a place where people can have acceptance and belonging. Do you agree? Do you want to turn to somebody and say, that would be a good place for me and you? Yeah? It's a good place to belong. And so welcome those of you watching online and if you're sitting on your own and uh, you're feeling a little bit out of things, it's a great place to belong. Well, Cathy, we don't want to be uh, too... Um, what's, what's been some of the things that you've done over the years in church? Well, tell us some about some of your experience through your Christian life. Um, okay. What's yeah. some of the things? You were a school so teacher, etc. I have played the piano in church. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want me to be doing that now. <laughs> Um, I have done children's work in church and I wouldn't want to be doing that now because that's too exhausting. Bless all of those people who do children's yeah. work and, and youth work. Um, oh, I have done women's groups and Bible studies and that kind of thing. I've never done any dance, probably never going to do any dance either, really. Tell people why you loved doing the car park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. We, we had this, we were in church and people just could not countenance the senior pastor's wife out there doing car park, but you just yeah, loved it. Yeah, I love the car park. I mean, we've all done things, haven't we, like making the coffee and washing the dishes and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things I love about those kind of things is that you really get to know with people when you're working with them on a team. And you have great times uh, chatting while you're working. So if you're thinking, oh, what can I be doing uh, when we get back to making coffee and so on, I'd recommend that. I'd do that again because it's just a lovely time to work with people. Um, I decided to work on the car park because they're asking for volunteers. But also because a, a while ago, Mark had, and I had been to a church. Mark was preaching. I won't tell you which church it is. Um, but the minister was here yesterday. Yeah. Although he wasn't the minister at the time. Yeah. Anyway... Um, we'd been and the first we parked the car and everything didn't we and we went into church and the first thing that anybody said to us was you'll have to move your car from there you can't leave your car there and so I moved the car you know um, I was a bit and I thought well if Mark hadn't been preaching I think I'd have just moved the car and gone home you know I wouldn't have stayed and so I, I, I think uh, welcome is such an important part of church but welcome doesn't start when you get into church. It starts as soon as you pull up on the car park or before you've got into the door. And um, 
I thought, it's, it, when you're on the car park, you've got a chance to be that first person who greets people with a smile, with, we're glad that you came. No, you can't park there, but could you park here? And um, yeah, and I like fitting things into neat little spaces. So parking cars, I can't park myself for toffee, but parking other people was, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. To be honest, you're saying about welcome, but actually it's Kathy wanting things in straight <laughs> lines and just say, no, let's get that right. That's the real That's reason right. she yeah. likes car park. Yeah. Hey, Kathy, let's be a little bit real. I know it's going out on the internet and everything, but hey, we want to be real about church. What are some things about church that you think we should be careful about that you sometimes get a little discouraged about? Mm. I think that um, when you're in church, and particularly when you're in any kind of a leadership role, such as a pastor or a cell group leader, or even if you've just got a good group of friends, you know, that, that look to you for anything, I think that's a real position of trust and responsibility and we really have to be very very careful that we don't abuse that position um, the church that we first became Christians in actually became I think to say it was abusive might be too strong but it certainly became very controlling and there were people who were in and the people who were out and if you were out you, you know you couldn't get in and, and it was very unfair. And so I think in church, we do have to be, we, well, we do have to realise that actually this is a position of trust and God's going to judge us on what we do with it. And we have to be really, really sure that we're actually treating everybody well and everybody with concern and consideration and not abusing anybody's trust. Yeah. So today, if you've had a little bit of a vulnerable time we want to say to you, give people a chance. And you know, as a leader, you can't do everything that people ask you to do. Don't come to us in three weeks' time and said you said no. Well, we're going to say no as leaders sometimes. But everybody is God's child. Amen? Everybody's God's child. Well, I'm going to give Kathy a break in a few minutes and uh, Roseman's going to come and uh, sing for us and minister to us. And, um, but just before we do that and the worship team are just coming and setting up, Kathy, just finally, um, I, we don't want to get questions from the floor. So if we haven't answered some things that you really wanted to know, please come and chat to us. But um, what are some of your values that you live by what are some of the things that that you think well this is me yeah um this is something we talked about in in the staff ses sessions that we had last week and if i had to say what my biggest value is it would always be family i think family for me is an absolute priority and obviously it's my own family and it's also the church family and i think as a mum, as a grandma, I think my thing about family is I like to take care of people. You know, I like to care for people. And um, just thinking about my own grandchildren, how well they're taken care of, how loved they are, it just really grieves me to think that not everybody is cared for, sorry, yeah. that not everybody is cared for in that way. 
And I just want to take all those children and bring them in. So caring for people, for me, is, is really important and realising that when people come through those doors, we don't know what kind of journey we've had. they've had. It's easy to sort of look at your watch and think, mm, you know, started 15 minutes ago. But we don't know what journey they've had to get here. And, and just being compassionate, being kind and caring for people. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nice. I thought I would just uh, share a few thoughts with you that actually will bring my story right up to date because it's, it's kind of about what's been happening over this last year or so uh, in our journey leading up to us coming here to KT. And I want to start by reading Psalm 126, if you wanted to turn there. It's Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping Carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out sowing, uh, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And this psalm, and in particular those last two verses, has been a really great encouragement to me over this last year or so because it's kept me going through some very difficult and trying situations. And as a family, we've sown, we've sown a lot of time in prayer and there have been a lot of tears. But now, excuse me, we're at the reaping stage And actually, the reaping is much more than we thought it was going to be. And there are songs of joy. They're not very tuneful ones on my part, I must admit, but there are definitely songs of joy. Now, I don't know if you notice, but in this psalm, the sowing and the reaping, the weeping and the songs of joy are just two halves of one sentence. They're not even separated by a full stop. But in real life, of course, although some prayers are answered instantly, a lot of the time, particularly for the important things, we do have to wait quite a lot longer. And waiting is never easy, is it? And certainly for me, however much practice I get at waiting, and I seem to get a lot of practice, it never gets any easier for me. And there are, of course, a lot of stories in the Bible of people who had to wait for things, but I want to have a look at the story of Hannah tonight in in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And you know, one of the things that I like about Hannah in a very funny kind of a way is that um, hers isn't a quick fix story. She didn't get an instant miracle. In fact, we're told that she had to wait year after year for her prayer to be answered. And I think that 
something that many of us here can probably resonate with, yeah. I also feel really sorry for Hannah, you know, because as well as struggling with this really deep desire to have a child for year after year, she also had to live with Elkanah's other wife, Panina, who had lots of children, and she gloated over Hannah with her children and made Hannah's life a misery. And you know, as if that wasn't bad enough, even Eli the priest accused her of being drunk when she was at one of her most vulnerable mean moments. I mean, you have got to feel sorry for Hannah, haven't you? And I just thank goodness that she had a good husband in Elkanah. Now, as I said, you can read all of Hannah's story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, but I'm just going to focus tonight on verses 9 to 18. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget me, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but no voice was heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. And then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now this we know was Hannah's breakthrough prayer after all of those years of waiting. And I imagine that you've probably heard quite a few sermons on that prayer of breakthrough. But I don't want to focus on that tonight. I want us to consider Hannah's story and what she can teach us while we're waiting for our prayers to be answered. And first of all, I want to say that all of us need an Elkanah in our lives. In other words, we all need someone who will support us and encourage us when everything else seems to be stacked against us. You know, when everybody else is having a baby, when everybody else is getting married, when everybody else is being healed and you're not. You know, I have a lovely friend in Birmingham City Church called Peggy. She was here yesterday and she stood with me over these last year or so and she's called me she's prayed with me she's encouraged me and she's never shared anything that I've told her with anyone else she has been completely trustworthy 
And when we're going through difficult times, we all need a friend like that that we can turn to and that we can share with. And what I'd like to say to you is that if you are struggling at the moment and you don't have someone like that, then please speak to someone on the leadership because they'll point you in the right direction because this is so, so important. We all need a good friend that we can share with, an Elkanah. And secondly, I think we learn from Hannah that we don't need to be afraid of admitting to our negative feelings, however bad that, that might be. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can feel guilty. And I would say that sometimes we can be made to feel guilty if we're not absolutely full of faith all the time. And sometimes we feel, I can't possibly be angry at God or frustrated with God because that would be sinful. But you know, in just these nine verses, Hannah expresses great anguish, bitterness, misery, being deeply troubled and grief. And that is a whole host of emotions, isn't it? And Hannah was not afraid of expressing them. And let me just say, it is very natural for us. It's not sinful, it's very natural for us. When we're going through those long periods of unanswered prayer and thinking, oh God, when, when are you going to do this? For us to feel all or some of those emotions. And the thing to do, like Hannah, is admit to them and be honest about them. And I would say, be honest to God about them. I don't think everybody in our lives is capable of dealing with those strong feelings that we might have, but God is. He's capable of dealing with them and he really cares for us. So don't be afraid of admitting your negative feelings. Number three, and I think this is really important, is that we have to stay faithful while we're waiting. Keep praying Keep reading your Bible and keep going to church because it's through those things that God will speak to you along the journey. If I had not been reading my Bible, God could not have given me Psalm 126. And that has been invaluable to me. That Psalm has been just a lifesaver to me. And you know, Hannah, in her disappointment, didn't let that stop her from going, as we know, year after year to worship at the temple. And it's really, it's not insignificant at all that she was in the temple when her breakthrough came. I don't think that is in any way insignificant. So while you're waiting, however hard it is sometimes to come to church, keep praying, keep reading your Bible, and keep coming to church because who knows maybe it will be in this temple where you receive your breakthrough and finally this is a quick sermon isn't it finally I would like to just say, like to say Hannah dedicated her child to God before she even became pregnant before her prayer was answered and because she did this God was able to do much more than she asked for. She asked for a child. She actually got six. She asked for a son, and that son was a leader and a prophet. 
And I would just like to say to all of us, we too need to realize that actually we're praying for one thing. God has much more for us. And if even before we receive it, we will give it back to God and say, God, you do with this what you want. It's going to be a lot more than we are expecting. We prayed for a grandchild. We've got twins now, and and that's just a, a great blessing to us. The the Psalm 126 does say they will come carrying their sheaves with them. Not one, plural. They'll come carrying sheaves. So dedicate what you're asking for back to God so that he can multiply it and increase it. So really, while you're waiting, think about these four things that we learned from Hannah. Find a really good friend who will support you and Uh, encourage you and stand with you while you're doing that. And if I could just say a word to the men here, it is not a sign of weakness, you know, to ask for help. But some of you men are not very good at doing that. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Find a good friend. Don't be afraid of admitting, first of all, to how you feel and expressing those feelings to God because he can take it and he cares for you. Stay faithful on the journey. It's in doing the spiritual things that God will speak to you and break through for you. And finally, offer what you're praying for back to God even before you receive it and just wait and see what he does with it. It's going to be so much more than you think. So thank you just for the privilege of allowing me to share these few thoughts with you today. Uh, It has been a great privilege, and I'd just like to say thank you so much for listening.